Welcome to the Rich With Purpose podcast, the finance podcast that's about more than just money. I'm your host, Taborjan Rasaya, financial advisor to hundreds of successful clients over the years. In each episode of this show, I speak with other experts in the complex world of money and finance, and together we discuss how you can ensure you make smart decisions with your money. Even more importantly, how to connect those decisions with your values and your purpose in order to achieve everything that is most important to you. Please note that everything we discuss is not personal advice, but general in nature. For the full disclaimer, please visit our website, richwithpurpose.com.au, where you can also register your details to get access to all our free resources. And please hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. I'm really excited about today's episode in which I've been fortunate to get an exclusive interview with Carl Richards. For the financial advisors listening, Carl needs no introduction whatsoever. But for those of you who don't know Carl, let me tell you a bit more. Carl Richards is the creator of the Sketch Guy column in the New York Times since 2010. He's very well known in the finance industry, particularly for his books, One Page Financial Plan and The Behaviour Gap. What Carl is most famous for, however, is his collection of sketches through which he makes complex financial concepts easy to understand. His sketches have appeared in various exhibitions and are mostly found on the walls in offices of hundreds of financial advisors around the world. In this episode, we explore the concept of real financial planning as opposed to the product-focused approach used by so many financial advisors globally and why starting with one's purpose is the only way to truly achieve everything that is most important to you. We also talk about the challenges that humans face when trying to invest and why we are not built to be good at investing, which leads us to the conversation about how humans need to think in order to be good at investing. You will learn about how to invest, particularly when markets are scary and uncertain, which is almost always, by the way. And make sure you listen to the end, where we challenge the idea that more money is better. In fact, we know that more money is not the path to security or happiness. So if you're interested in learning about how to think about money, happiness and purpose, you will definitely enjoy this episode of the Rich With Purpose podcast. Welcome to the Rich With Purpose podcast, Carl Richards. Yeah, thanks for having me. Super excited to chat with you. I am super excited, Carl. You are one of the most well-known people in our financial advice industry. Uh, the sketch guy, uh, been drawing little uh, little sketches in the New York Times for, what, 10 years now? Uh, also author of many uh, really popular books, Behaviour Gap being one of the one of the fantastic ones that uh, that uh, anyone that wants to read a really good book about uh, how to think about money, behavior gaps a winner. Um, and really, what what you're a master of is articulating complex ideas in a simple way. Uh, I just love the way that you communicate financial ideas, but I also love the way that you think about life and connect things to do with money back to things that are actually far more important than money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I, well, thanks for that, first of all. Um, and when we think about this idea of 
it, it's funny, we, most of us, when we start to engage with the topic of money, and by most of us, I mean most humans, when we start to engage with the topic of money, we think we're going to be engaging with something like a spreadsheet or a calculator. You know, it's, it's, it's a set of numbers. It's going to be rational. Two plus two always equals four. It doesn't matter if I'm scared or worried or excited. It always equals four. That's kind of what we think if we're taught. And I lived for years in your neck of the woods um, and spent lots of time there and had lots of these conversations. So I know this isn't an American problem. I currently live in London. It's not a UK problem. It's, it's, a, it's a human and problem is not even the right word, but it's just the way humans view money is we think it's, we've been trained that it's supposed to be this spreadsheet. It's about numbers. It's about math. It's a math problem. And then we go to touch it. And it's, it, it's like you, it's like you're touching an electric fence that you didn't know was electric. Like, whoa, it's a, suddenly it's about feelings, you know, and emotions. It's the things that keep us up at night. It's the dreams for our children right? It's the concerns we have for our parents. Like you can't get any more sort of emotional than that. And so I think this idea of being thoughtful about, about why money is important to you. It's crazy that we're not doing more of it, right? Like it's crazy that this is a novel and unique idea and, and that, that, that most people don't talk this way. Um, because it, it makes no sense. It's like, it's as if we are worldwide. It's as if we are arguing and debating about whether to take a plane, a train or an automobile on a trip before we've decided where we're going. And I think the essence of sort of real financial planning and, and getting clear about our relationship with money as humans starts with the never ending process of defining where you wanna go, right? Mm -hmm. What's the purpose? Why am I doing this? Then the other stuff is just layered on top. The other stuff is easy, right? Easy is probably not the right word. The other stuff is mm -hmm. simple. So anyway, yeah, I don't, it, 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 it's, it's really fun exploration because very few people talk about it this way. It, it boggles, it's just mind boggling to me that very few people talk about it this way. Why, why are we so obsessed with, you know, I don't know. I mean, you talk about the financial pornography network and, you know, it's our whole mm. finance money industry, you know, whether it's the stockbrokers, whether it's financial advisors, whether it's the media, we're so focused on products and stocks and solutions and, we try to find, to use doctor's terms, you know, we try to find the medicine before we diagnose the problem or try and figure out what we're trying to achieve, don't we? Yeah, yeah, Taborja. I mean, I think that's such a good point. And I think it's really, it's, it's, it's no, <laughs> I mean, it's no surprise that we do that because it's just a human trait. Like we humans, like to find shortcuts. Our, our, our brains are not wired to analyze every potential option. I mean, imagine if you did that in the morning when you went to get dressed, if you literally looked at every single potential combination of clothing in your closet every single morning, you would be paralyzed, right? You'd be there all day. So we, we find these shortcuts. And one way these shortcuts show up in, in our financial lives 
is in the form of certainty, you know, people offering certainty and, and, and the way they offer certainty is they like, and we, as humans, we've been looking for millennia for people who can tell us what the future looks like. Like, where's it going to rain? Is. Yeah. Where, where's it going to rain? Where's the Buffalo? Like, where do I find food? Um, we've been looking for that forever. And so it's really easy. Certainty is really easy to sell to humans. It's impossible to deliver. And that's part of the reason almost everybody's dissatisfied with their financial experience and particularly with the advice that they often think they're getting because it's around certainty. So you can imagine when you have that combination, like we're looking for shortcuts, we're wired to desire certainty and somebody shows up with a fancy little package with a bow on it in the form of a product, we think, oh, that must be our job. Find the best product. And we haven't defined what the purpose is yet. And so that just leads to this hamster wheel. And I bet all of your listeners can relate to this, that this hamster wheel of you find what you think is the solution. You're just so happy and relieved. You put your money there. 12, 18, 24 months later, it no longer feels like the solution. You find the new solution. You're so happy and relieved. You put your money there. So you, you, almost, you almost build, as humans, we're kind of wired to build a system where we buy high and sell low and kind of repeat that time after time after time because we think it's our job. It's well-intentioned. It's not because we're dumb. You know, everybody listening to this, like, you don't, you don't get, you're not dumb, right? It's because we're wired that way. And, and then there's this whole layer of solution sets, the financial pornography network you mentioned. It seems like, I mean, they look really fancy. They seem like they know what they're talking about. They're from places, you know, Sydney, London, New York, like they're, it, it, it seems like they should know what they're talking about. And, but the problem is they're just hacking at the branches. You know, we, that, that sort of hamster wheel, these solution sets sit up in the branches. And we all know that like when the wind blows, the branches move a lot. And all your work is suggesting is, hey, let's get to the root of the problem. And then we can worry later about the branches. The root requires some deep work. It requires some thought. It requires slowing down a little bit. It requires awareness. And we're not wired to do that naturally. We're wired to get a quick fix, quick solution. So I think that's why that happens. And I think what, what ends up happening is in the absence of being clear about what you're trying to achieve or in the absence of even knowing that you need to think about the outcome or the purpose, the natural direction is to just try and get more money because surely that will make me happy or surely that will help me achieve whatever it is I want to achieve. And then that, that also leads you then to saying, well, how do I make more money? I need to find the best investment property or the best stock or the guru who's going to give me the best product or solution. And we end up just looking yeah. for the wrong thing. For sure. Yeah. And, and again, it's just really important to understand we don't, it's, it's not because we're dumb, right? It's just because 
it's it's almost as if and I can't remember who said this. I think it's it either Kahneman or like one of the super smart people in the behavioral finance world said that if you were to design a bad investor, you would design a human. You know, all of these natural tendencies that have kept us alive as a species work us work against us when it comes to investing. And so it's no doubt, right? Like when your hand is on a hot stove, you're going to take it off, right? And we've, we've translated sort of like markets moving, just to be specific about investments for a minute, right? Markets moving up or down. We've translated that as we're, we're hardwired to get more of what gives us pleasure or security and to run away from things that cause us pain. And we've We've trans because everybody around us, when things are markets are moving up, everybody around us is happy. It feels like, hey, everybody's happy. I'm happy. This feels good. I want more of this thing that feels good. And then if we were to say, hey, maybe I'm maybe this is getting a little crazy. Maybe I maybe I should not do what everybody else is doing. That means stepping out of a herd. And we all know what happens when you step out of a herd, you get killed, right? So so that's why all that wiring, and then and then we sort of think, and then you layer on top of that, this sense of security that we so desperately want. And we have translated security must equal more. And you, I, I love what you said, like we just, oh, if we have any problems, let's just get more. And the, that's not the answer, right? If you're, if you're a little psychotic with money, particularly if you're insecure around money, like most of us are, the solution is not more money. I mean, it makes sense that you would feel that way. I know I do. Like, oh, geez, if, if I'm not secure with X in the bank, then I surely will feel secure with 2X or 10X in the bank. It, I know it feels that way, but I'm telling you it's not true because I know people. I know people with $50 million that are completely insecure around money. And I know people with no money in the bank that are secure. Now I'm a, now I, I'm, I'm talking from a place of, of relative privilege in the sense of after our basic needs are met, after our basic needs are met, more money doesn't deliver more security and it certainly doesn't deliver more happiness counter to what we think. Yeah, Morgan Housel talks about it in one of his chapters in his recent book, The Psychology of Money. I've referenced this in a, a couple of these episodes, but he, he talks about how much is enough. Yeah, I, we're, we're just not wired to think about it. And it's, mm. it, it, we need to rewire ourselves to think about it, like to just get clear. And the science, the, the, the data, sorry, the science is pretty clear about this. You know, uh, happiness, assuming that's the goal, and which is, that's sort of what I'm assuming, is sort of lasting kind of contentment. It doesn't come from the things that all the cool kids on Instagram tell us it comes from. It doesn't come from new plastic items. It doesn't come from shiny new things. It doesn't come from spending. It, it, well, I should be sorry. It doesn't come from spending on stuff. Happiness comes from 
experiences with people you love, spending time with people you love. And you can, sometimes that costs a lot of money, but you can also make it cost almost nothing. Let me just tell you one quick story. I, hmm. we, one summer we had this amazing, just confluence of events in our family. We have four kids at the time they were, they were young. Um, and there's just sort of a confluence of events like work trips, whatever, where we went on these amazing, we went on like three or four amazing trips as a family to places that, you know, like I grew up in, in, in the mountains in Utah. I, I never imagined being able to go to Sydney or, 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 you know, the South Island of New Zealand. I never imagined being able to go to these places when I was little, we went to like three or four amazing places in one summer. Amazing. At the end of the summer, I remember talking to my son, Sam, who was like, eight or nine or something. And I said to him, Hey, what was your highlight of the summer? Thinking he would say something like that time we ran up the stairs on the Eiffel tower or something like, like something like, like mm. he's like, Hey dad, do you remember that time? We just went down by the lake by the house and threw rocks for a couple hours. <laughs> it's like, Oh my gosh, seriously. That's amazing. You know? So I think we get, when you think about enough, in that kind of context. And what that takes, what that requires is for us to, to make, I like to think of it as make small bets. If you wanna learn what enough is, try, try something, but then think about it. Like another example would be, my wife and I used to go on a lot of, on a lot of dates with other, you know, like we used to go out with other couples and we would go to a movie, a quick dinner and then movie. And one night we were like, well, wait, kind of what we're, the reason we're going is to connect. And then we go sit in a movie and, you know, we spent this money on dinner and, 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 and it wasn't about the money. It was just about like thinking about the connect, like what's the goal. So you, you place a small bet going out to dinner was fun in the two movie fun. That was a small bet. Oh, you know what? That wasn't as much fun as I thought. Like we didn't get what we thought we wanted. The movie was good, but we didn't get to connect. Oh, here's another small bet. What if we invited people over to our house and we got all the ingredients there, but we didn't prepare it and we just made dinner together. So we took two or, you know, really like it was two or three hours, like let's make dinner, let's eat dinner, let's hang out and chat. Oh, holy cow. Like the connection was 10 times what it was. And by the way, as a side benefit, it costs a little bit less. So the way to find enough is to make these small bets and then pay attention to the return you get. And if the mm. return isn't what you think, make a different bet. Because it turns out I can sit by the lake and throw rocks with, you know, someday in the future with grandkids. And it will probably be more memorable for them than me flying them across the world. Yeah, that's that's amazing, Carl. And it, it just reminds me of a conversation I had with Baz Gardner in episode two, where he he talked about currency, and we always think about currency as money, but we spoke about currency being other things that you can get from other people, and you can get paid in so many ways, uh, and you know whether it's affection, whether it's love, whether it's respect. Uh, there are actually so many ways that we can get paid and, and so many of those ways to get paid are far more valuable than what we normally think when we think of currency. For sure. For sure. And I think that just requires, the reason it's hard 
is because it just requires us to pay attention, you know, to slow down long enough. And by long enough, I mean like 30 seconds, right? To just simply go, I just did this. What was the return? You know, how did I feel? Did I enjoy, how does it, I mean, like just embody it for a minute, just stop and take a deep breath and think, oh, I just spent $8.97 on a sandwich. Isn't that interesting? Just noticing, just simply noticing, not judging, not trying to fix, just noticing our interaction with how we spend and how we save and how we invest, how we use our capital. It's just noticing and we're not trained to do that. We're just running so fast. And this isn't, this isn't even about like, it's, it's not more effort. It's not more time. It doesn't take more money. It just takes shifting a little bit to just the habitually start noticing instead of habitually spending without thought or, or investing without thought or just notice. And it's hard. I mean, it's really hard. Like I, I've got a long ways to go. My wife's really good at it, but I, I have a long ways to go with this stuff. But every time I do it, I realize, ah, oh, you know what? I'm just looking at the closet. Like, you know, there's a bunch of stuff in there that I don't really use. Well, how could I prevent that cycle next time? When I go to buy something, could I just, like we have a little trick. We have an Amazon trick. It's called the 72 hour bin. I noticed this with books. I'd buy, a, I'd read about a book online. Somebody would tweet something about a book. I think, oh, I got to have that book. I'd buy the book and the next thing it'd be in my desk. And I'd wake up like 60 days later and there'd be a stack of unread books on my desk <laughs> and be like, how did these get here? And then I would realize, oh, that's how they got there. So now we have a, I have a rule. Any book I'm going to buy, I just violated this rule two days ago. And I'm thinking, I, I actually, I bought a book two days ago violated the rule. And I literally within 24 hours, I'm like, I don't want that book. So that's a reminder. I have a little list, you know, and Amazon will let you put lists together. Mm. I have a list. It's called 72 hour bin. It's got to go in the 72 hour bin for 72 hours before I buy it. You should see how many books are still in there. <laughs> Most books don't make it out. Mm. Right. So anyway, just little things like that. I guess it, 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 it connects a little bit with one of your sketches and um, I will in the show notes, put some of these sketches below for listeners to be able to refer to the, but one of them where we talk about your use of capital and the connection with your purpose and mm -hmm. the intersection of those two things. Yeah, Can you talk I, to that a little bit, Carl? Yeah. I mean, I, I just believe the definition of real financial planning, you know, and, and whenever I use the word planning, I use that, Loosely, I don't, I'm not necessarily referring to a product or a two inch thick book. I'm referring actually to the opposite. I'm referring to the ongoing sort of process of thinking about where am I today? Where do I want to go and how do I want to get there? That's a never ending process. That process is called real financial planning and real financial planning is just the overlap. Like if you think about it as a Venn diagram, two circles, one circle is labeled um, what's important to me. And the other circle is labeled use of capital. Now we could shortcut that and say purpose in one circle and money in the other circle. And the overlap of purpose and money is real financial planning. And the idea just is to think through like, and I love the term purpose. I know you use that a lot. And I love that term because it sits underneath. It's sort of foundational. 
sits underneath things like goals or tactics or strategies. It sits underneath it. Most people, and I would dare say 99.9% .9 of the people I've talked to have never defined sort of their why. You know, that's another way to think about purpose is like your why, like Simon Sinek's work, start with why. Mm -hmm. Nobody's 99.9%, .9%, I, like I, I literally can't think of anybody that I asked, have you done this? And they said, yes, before we worked together. So defining purpose, purpose drives all those other things. Purpose drives goals, purpose drives strategy, tactics, all those things. And one thing that's really important to understand about how we use money, I mean, this shows up in the investment world a lot, but it also shows up in spending. Often personal finance has been about teaching people to say no a lot you know, like beat themselves up. It's been about pain and restriction, budgeting. Like if I say the word budgeting, we all have the same reaction. Like, ah, you know, we, we tear up your credit cards, make it hard. I even know people who used to have, there used to be like a little wrist thing that you could press a button, it would zap you. And so like, if you spent money, you'd press a button, it would zap you. Like that's, that's where we're coming from. What's that, if it's so much better if we define a deep yes in the form of a purpose, then it's easy to say no to, it's not really even about saying no anymore. It's about saying, you can say, I've chosen to spend my money a different way. That feels much different than no, 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 no. We can't afford that, no. Or flicking yourself with your rubber band on your wrist. It feels much different to say, I've chosen to spend my money a different way. Well, what's that different way? Or, I've, or I wanna say no to selling out of the market when it's scary, well, how do I say no to that? If I remember, when I'm saying no to that, I'm out in the branches. What's the root? Purpose, I can come back. I can continually be coming back to purpose and it will root me when I'm tempted to do something silly because I'm human, which for me is like every day I'm tempted to do something silly and I have to go back to this statement of financial purpose, which is what I'm trying to get the whole industry to adopt. I think every client should have a statement of financial purpose. Mine's two sentences, time with my family, mainly outside and serving in my community. That's why money matters to me. Well, when I think about it that way, do I wanna invest in that cool new startup? Yeah, no. When I think about it that way, do I really need to spend money on another pair of shoes? Well, unless they're shoes that help me get outside with my family or serve in my community, like some work boots or something. Yeah, you know, so. It's the lens through which we view the world. Mm. It changes everything, so doesn't it? Changes everything. The uh, you know the difference between the stick approach, which is no, versus the carrot approach, which is yes. And uh, I can just think of an example. In the last month, we worked with a couple that they had some great uh, aspirations in terms of what what they wanted to achieve, and just by walking through the process and having the deep conversations about purpose and what's really important to them, we didn't have to say you shouldn't do that. We took this on, on, took them on this journey over multiple conversations where they came out the other side and said, we now realize that that is not what we really want. This yeah. big house that was going to be more than uh, two thirds of their net worth, they have come around to, to see that 
the things that are actually most important to them, the time with their family, stress, uh, you know, uh, education, these things are areas that are far more important uh, than this big thing that sounded lovely, but, you know, was not, not unattainable, but it was going to uh, stop them from being able to achieve things that were actually more important to them. Yeah, they came so important. No, it's such a gift. That's such a gift. I mean, it's it, because we, the thing that's important for us to understand, which is why I don't, you know, like love the term goals. I, I, I actually, I, I don't have a problem with the term goals. I have a problem with the way we typically go about it when we ask somebody what their goals are, when we put pressure on it, is because we don't know. Human, we don't know. We don't know. We think we know. But this gets to Rene Girard's work around mimetic desire. Like we don't even know what it is that we want. Like getting goal, clarifying our goals is a process in and of itself. And it often involves being wrong. Like saying, I think I want that. And being wrong, I mean like having a strong opinion and then finding out that that strong opinion turns out, like you just mentioned, turns out, I, you know what I, I and I could tell you a hundred stories about that experience. Like one of them, Darren and Bron Darren and um, Allison, people I was working together, uh, working with, they, these were friends of mine. I, they'd been married about 15 years at this point. We were having this conversation and we were talking about what's really important. And Allison says to me, you know, Darren's sitting right next to her, her, her husband. Allison says to me, gosh, you know, I really want to travel more. And Darren, and I'm not actually making this up, Darren fell off of his chair. He was like, what, what are you, what are you, I have never heard you say that before. Like we've been, I've known you for 20 years. We've been married for 15 years. I've never heard. I thought you just like to live in this little community where we are and just be here and be rooted. I didn't know. I love to travel. Why haven't we been talking about this? And she was like, what are you talking about? I say it all the time. And he's like, no, I, I mean, I could tell you hundreds of stories about that. And, and in some cases, they weren't as obvious as Allison knowing that. They were like, neither one of them knew it. Hmm. And they discovered it by this small bet. Like, you know what? We don't like going to the movies. We like connecting with our friends. Right? So that gift of clarifying where you want to go and that sits just above purpose, right? Like as we move from purpose, we get to sort of maybe some specific things which we then put some framework around and we call them goals, right? It's because most of us wake up. I mean, I can't tell you how many times we've, we read about this all the time in the news, right? 55, 60 years old and go, gosh, is this all there is? Is this really what I was... I mean, you see this particularly 45, 50, right? Like that we call it a midlife crisis. Mm. It's just really, and then suddenly we have all sorts of crazy behavior to try and fix that. Well, what if we were just a little more intentional as we go? Yeah, it's amazing. Mm. And what do we do? What do we do when, for a midlife crisis? Buy new cars, buy more stuff, yeah. right? Yeah, spend our way out of it because that will certainly solve the problem. The problem is I have a friend, his name's Paul and he, he, he talks about this all the time, which I just love. He says, look, if, if you can't, and he, he equates it to income. He's like, look, if you make, 
take your, I mean, even, even isolate this for cost of living. So take like you live in a specific, whatever county or area of Sydney, you can find what the, what the average household income is. And if you make more than the average household income and you can't design a life where you're happy on that, happy with that, it's not the money problem. It's the way you've designed the life. And so there's a whole movement called effective altruism around this. And they, a lot of them use average, like the median income in the UK. This is this movements from started really in Ox, at Oxford. Um, the median income in the UK, and let's just say it was, it, as I recall, it was like 35,000 pounds. I think it's 27,000 pounds, that's, that's what I recall. So these, these are people who make you know, 150,000 pounds a year and they've decided to live on 27 and give the rest away. And then they get this asked this question all the time, like how could you live on 27? And their answer is half the population lives on less hmm. in the UK, right? So it's not a problem of more will make me happier. It's a problem of I haven't designed my life correctly. That's a pretty harsh, like extreme example. But I think that idea of saying, wait, if I'm unhappy with my life, midlife crisis thing, more things, more of the same thing I've been doing or a different version of more is not going to solve that problem. Like far more important to say, what is it that would like, what is like, and we can look at the research, you know, things mm. like, things like quiet contemplation, experiences with our friends and family, a walk in the park, those things bring happiness. A car doesn't. Now, the problem is it does for about 45 seconds. And maybe it'll, maybe it'll be 45 days, but it's not gonna be much longer than that. It's called the hedonic, hedonic treadmill. We know it exists. As soon as you get it, you think what's next. There are things that don't operate that way. We know okay. it, like it's, it would be really interesting for somebody to live. I've thought about this. I've thought about codifying what we know about happiness and money. Elizabeth Dunn's book is great. Elizabeth Dunn says, um, I think it's called Spending Your Way to Happiness. She says, uh, um, if you think money can't buy happiness, you just don't know how to spend it yet. You just don't know the right ways mm. to spend it. And so it'd be really interesting for somebody to go, look, here's the 47 rules that we know from science. And what if I just follow those? They're all counterintuitive. Go on a walk instead of buying a new pair of shoes. They're all they're all countercultural too, right? They're all anti Instagram, mm. but they're all science. Right? And they so work. anyway, enough about yeah, that. Yeah. And oh, they well, work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. We'll put a link to that book in the show notes as well, Carl. So I guess that's kind of part of that behavior gap, which is this is more about the right behaviors, the wrong behaviors in terms of. Uh, you know, the impact on our money. And then you also talk about the behavior gap from an investing perspective and making poor decisions in that sense as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, but those things are all, that's all in the branches, right? Like, mm. like in the investing stuff, we do it all day long. It's where this behavior shows up. We buy high, we sell low. We do that because we're human. So uh, to everybody listening to this, please, like empathetic hug. Mm. You know, like I do it too. 
And it, it doesn't make us dumb, it makes us human, right? When, you're, when the markets go down, it feels scary. It makes sense that you're scared right now. And it almost doesn't matter when you listen to this. <laughs> but <laughs> certainly when this is recorded, it makes sense that you're scared about the market, the economy, the world, totally makes sense. It makes sense that you think taking action would be smart because in other times of your life, when you're scared, there's a bear that jumps out of the bush or, well, geez, everything that moves in Australia is trying to kill you. Right. <laughs> so, so the, you know, that there's what it's, but it's not a bear. Um, so there's something that jumps out of the bush. You take action. But in this case, the solution to this is not to think about action. The solution to this is to go back to your purpose. So get out of the tree, the branches. Say, look, I'm thinking about doing something. Okay, let's go back and connect. Why did we invest this money in the first place? Hopefully the reason, hopefully you can answer this. If you can't, go get to the point where you can. But why is your money invested in the way it is? The answer should be, well, because it's built on a plan. This portfolio gives me the greatest chance of meeting my goals greatest likelihood of meeting my goals using the weighty ovens of history and everything we know about portfolio design. This portfolio gives me the greatest chance of meeting my goals. How did I come up with my goals? Well, because my goals are linked to my purpose. Okay, has the purpose changed? So you reconnect, has the purpose changed? No, it hasn't changed. Okay, then you move up and say, let's just remind ourselves, have the goals changed? No, the goals haven't changed. All right, well, now I'm feeling a little rooted. Okay, well, if the goal purpose hasn't changed and the goals haven't changed, has anything fundamentally changed about the investments we're using? Was there fraud? Was there you know, anything? No, nothing's changed there. Okay, well, it turns out you're probably in the right place. Then maybe you have the ability to go, great, I'll set that on the shelf and ignore it because I just checked in and everything's still the way it should be. That's much different than, don't you know if you missed the 10 best days? And don't you know, like, like throwing, it's, it's <laughs> get out of the branches, get back to yeah, the roots. Yeah. That's beautifully explained, Carl. I know that uh, we're really privileged to have you on the call. I know you do have to uh, start preparing for another for another session. So, so really appreciate that explanation. We are going to have other experts on talking about investment philosophies and investment strategies. But you know, the key message is you got to start with your purpose and then design the portfolio investment strategies that align with giving yourself the best chance of achieving that, as you said. Yeah. Amen, my friend. Thanks for the work you're doing and please keep it up. Thanks very much, Carl. Appreciate it. And always, as always, love having the chat. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this episode. Our aim is to share the knowledge with as many people as possible. So please share it with everyone you know. And if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and visit our website, richwithpurpose.com.au to get access to all our free resources. See you next time.